right. Hey, listen, I am excited about the launch of a new series, um, but I want to introduce our guest speaker before um, we get started. This is Zach Epps. Go ahead and make some noise for Zach Epps. Yeah. Listen, Zach joined our team. I don't know if anybody can hear. Okay. Zach joined our team not too long ago. What was it? November last year. That's He's right. the team leader of our student ministry. He's going to be bringing it tonight, but just one more time to encourage him. Let's make some noise one more time. Here we go. What is up, Compassion Christian Church? Thumbs up, students, if you're having a good night so far. Thumbs up. All right, great, great. My name is Zach. I am the high school pastor here, and I'm super excited. And I just want to immediately update you on two things if you haven't already noticed, if you're a first-time visitor with us today. Okay, number one, this is student-led weekend, okay? And this, this is just a really fun thing that our church does to empower youth in the life of our church. And really, it's a reminder for us here at Compassion Christian that this church is a multi-generational church. And I think that's really exciting. And it's really exciting actually at this time in history, American history, because of technical, technological advancements and because of how good uh, healthcare has gotten, there are five generations that worship every single week here at Compassion Christian Church and across churches across America. And I think that is amazing because here's the deal, the kingdom of heaven is gonna be a multi-generational church. So this Sunday and every Sunday, we get to prepare our hearts for the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Second thing, they have let the student pastor preach today. So what this means is if this is just a swing and a miss, come back next week. <laughs> but it is really exciting. I tell you what, today we're launching a series called The Jesus I Wish You Knew. And as pastors preaching through this series, I think one of the things we are doing or we're attempting to do is to introduce Jesus every single week. And I tell you what, that can be a challenging thing sometimes to introduce Jesus to your friends. Because Jesus, the real Jesus, who was God and took on human flesh, lived a paradoxical life. And I just want you to think about how challenging it is to introduce Jesus, the person who the prophets called the lion and the lamb. I want you to think about how challenging it is to introduce Jesus who demonstrated extraordinary compassion when he healed the outcasts in society and who defied social norms and ate with tax collectors and the Jesus who allowed prostitutes to come into his inner circle and, and said things like, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. And the, and the same Jesus is the Jesus who said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And it's the same Jesus who said, put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. And then this Jesus allowed himself to be beaten and bruised and put on a cross and die for the sins of the world. However, and ironically, the same Jesus who did all these things also said, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. The same Jesus who called out the religious leaders and he said, you serpents, you brought of vipers, how, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? The same Jesus said, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. And the same Jesus, when encountering a man who had just lost his father and who was thinking about following him, following him looked this man in the eye and he said, Leave the dead 
to bury their own dead. And finally, and maybe the most offensive, the most politically incorrect thing ever said came out of the mouth of Jesus when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, the Jesus that I wish you knew walks a tightrope. He walks a tightrope of, of grace and truth. He walks a tightrope of tenderness and toughness. He walks a tightrope of personal humility and tenacious grit. And today, we are going to try to harmonize Scripture to understand this paradoxical Jesus of the Bible. But when we do that, we experience a great temptation. And I tell you what, it is the same temptation that Eve experienced in the garden when she was confronted with the serpent. The temptation is to take God's word that is clear and to twist it and repackage it to fit what we already believe and our own biases and prejudices and worldviews. The temptation throughout history has always been to take the Jesus of God's revelation and deconstruct him into a Jesus or God of our own imagination. And so what we might find today is that we don't initially like some of the things that Jesus said. But rather than throw away the hard sayings of Christ, today what I want to challenge you to do is to enter God's word and enter a wrestling match with it. So what we're trying to do is we're going to try to harmonize God's word so that we might be reintroduced to biblical Jesus. Because the biblical Jesus is the Jesus I wish you knew. But before we do that, before we enter God's word, would you just pray with me? Father, thank you for today, Lord. Uh, we just thank you for being here. Lord, we know you've showed up tonight. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts of everyone in this room. Uh, Lord, I pray that your word would have the power tonight. We love you and we give you all the glory. And in your name we pray, amen. So as we attempt to understand biblical Jesus, what we'll be looking at is a parable where Jesus gave a, a rebuke to the religious leaders of his day. We're going to walk through that parable and what we're going to find are, are two big questions that challenge both our church and specifically our student ministry in our world today. It starts in Matthew 22, if you want to open your Bibles, and it goes like this. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Now, in a royal wedding, a great banquet always marked the end of the betrothal. So the invitations had all been sent and accepted, and all that remained was for those who would honor the king and his son to respond to a herald's call. But inexplicably, the invited guests were unwilling to come. You see, like many today, they all had an excuse for not doing what they all had pledged to do. Now, this is kind of like a student who might promise their student pastor or life group leader that they're going to be at youth group every Wednesday night from 6.30 to 8. <laughs> but then, something better, or more frequently and more accurately, someone better comes along. Now, here's the deal. Normally, ancient kings in our parable, they did not tolerate such disrespect, and perhaps youth pastors should not either, but... This king sent out slaves saying, behold, everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and they went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his slaves, mistreated and killed them. So the enraged king sent his armies and destroyed those murderers. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. 
Go therefore to the main highways and as many as you find there, go and invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. Now hearing the echoes of our great commission to go out and make disciples of all nations and to go out and seek and save that which is lost, we often identify with the slaves who went out to the streets to invite guests. However, in this context, we, the church, are the very newly blessed, newly invited guests. And truly, this invitation to this church is for all. Ethnicity, gender, social status, shockingly, even our past, good or evil, no longer matters. The question that we must ask ourselves as we build our ministries here at Compassion Christian Church is will we, like the king, extend an open invitation to all? Now this is a challenging question that each one of us must ask ourselves. Jesus demands that we ask this question. If we would have our church look like the future reality of the kingdom of heaven. Now in Christendom today, there are many denominations wrestling with this question and what it looks like to answer it correctly. Among these denominations recently, the Methodist Church held what is called a general conference. And one of the goals of this conference, in the words of the Methodist Church, was to deal with the church's teachings on homosexuality and find ways to help the church stay together. The conference concluded with the Methodist Church planning to implement what they are calling the traditional plan. This traditional plan affirms a biblical worldview of marriage. It forbids clergy from practicing homosexuality and from performing gay marriages. This traditional plan doesn't seem to be any kind of new Christian ideal. However, despite historical Christianity and what the Bible says, Methodist churches are leaving the denomination in the name of inclusion across America. Now, in light of this very real current event that is happening in our country, how exactly are are we a compassion to open an invitation for all. Well, the truth is we have to continue to wrestle with God's word because our parable continues. It says, when the king came in to look over his guests, he saw a man not dressed in wedding clothes. You see, not changing for such an occasion was a shocking act of disrespect. This man had not come to honor the king or his son. So the king said, friend, how, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? Surely there's an explanation for this insult, but the Bible says that the man was speechless. He simply refused to do what everyone was expected to do in response to such grace. He gave the king no honor, much less submission. You see, like self-styled worshipers, he was just determined to do his own thing in his own way. So the king ordered him to be bound and thrown into outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. You see, the the grace call to enter the kingdom is for everyone, but no one can enter on their own terms. You see, church, the truth is that God's radical grace is only received through unconditional surrender of a radical faith in which God always makes radical changes. But what does it say when no one sees those changes? What does it say when our our pursuit and practice of holiness never really looks any different? Every day I see God do amazing things in and through our people at Compassion, but it's strange 
Because in a growing community, when we have an old church on every other corner and a new church plant in every school, sometimes the distinctiveness of Christianity seems to be lost. And friends, as a pastor, the Lord's words haunt me. Many are called, but few are chosen. Of course, this was a major theme for Jesus. He told us not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter, for there's going to be tares among the wheat and goats among the sheep. And inside our ministries are the wise who hear and obey God's words, but also the foolish who hear, but do not obey, and whose houses are going to fall in the storm of God's judgment. In this parable, Jesus was not speaking of our heathen neighbors, but of the many within our own ministries who've entered a wide gate and are traveling on a wide road. In other words, they're still wearing their old clothes. They're still carrying all the baggage of their own beliefs and behaviors. And Jesus said, one reason so many are on this wide road is all the ear-tickling false prophets promoting it. In a world where you can find any teacher you want on a smartphone or on a social media platform, there are wolves in sheep's clothing everywhere who dilute the demands of God's gospel and deceive the many into believing they are on a road to heaven. But the wide road only leads to destruction and few find the narrow way that leads to life. Jesus constantly warns us of unfruitful branches and foolish bridemaids, faithless stewards and seeds that sprout but quickly wither. And throughout scripture, we're warned of the danger of self-deception, of what happens when we exchange this God of revelation for one of our own imagination. Well, in light of our Lord's warnings to the religious leaders, we must answer this question as well. Are we, in the ministries we lead, truly sharing and showing his gospel to everyone? This profound parable that, that Jesus used to teach his disciples compels me to continually rethink what our student ministry ought to look like here at Compassion Christian Church. I mean, if we're going to be a church that takes seriously the mission of leading people of all nations and all generations to a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ, we must understand the tension to what we are called to. So tonight, just for a moment, dream with me of how our family ministry must answer this question posed by the parable of Jesus. The first question is this. Will we, like the king, extend an open invitation to all? And church, we must say yes to this question. Our student ministry must say yes. And we must understand that saying yes to this question is going to make some of us uncomfortable. Saying yes to this question means that we're not going to retreat into some exclusive, safe community. But we're going to create environments where students from diverse backgrounds and upbringings enter our world. You know, I'll, I'll never forget uh, my second year in youth ministry. A young boy in the seventh grade came into our church building and he was just looking for a gym to shoot some baskets. And so we let him in and we started shooting baskets and some of his buddies came. And it wasn't long before some of his buddies started coming to our Wednesday night program because they figured out we have a good snack spread on Wednesday night. And so they started coming, and I remember we were preaching on purity, sexual purity, and we were reflecting on this sermon and small group that had been preached, and the young boy began to make these confessions, and it, he had been sexually active since he had been nine years old. And he, he was sitting in the circle, and he said, how can I achieve sexual purity? And so we were sitting there. I was the leader and my co-leaders, and we were in uncharted territory you see, we had opened the gates of our ministry, but few of us 
were equipped to handle the implications of answering Jesus' call to minister to all people. You see, Jesus has called us to open the gates of our student ministry. And here's the deal. We're going to have to work hard. We're going to have to work hard to protect our students from, from bullies. Because bullies who, who might have been hurt in ways that we can hardly imagine are going to be at our Wednesday night program. And there are going to be students who come to the youth group and they're going to be struggling with drugs and alcohol. And they're going to be 13-year-olds who walk through our church with with porn addictions and who have been sexually active for years. And here's the deal. We're going to have to train more families and leaders to be equipped to talk with kids who are struggling with anxiety and depression and who might be contemplating suicide. We're going to have to figure out how to train more helpers so that students with special needs can meet Jesus. And we're going to have to figure out how to integrate the Latino culture into our youth group. Because God's church is a multi-ethnic church. And we have to understand the unique cultural challenges that second and third generation American students are when they're exploring their own identity. And we're going to have to figure out to minister to youth who have been physically and sexually abused. And we're going to have to do all those things while guaranteeing the safety of compassion Christian students at our program. Jesus has called us to do these things. And here's the second question. Are we in the ministries, we lead truly sharing and showing his gospel, his gospel to everyone. A couple weeks ago at her Las Vegas residency show, Lady Gaga had some words for Vice President of the United States, Mike Pence. She said to Mike Pence, who thinks that it's acceptable that his wife works at a school that bans LGBTQ, you're wrong. She said, you're the worst representation of what it means to be a Christian. She continued, I'm a Christian woman. And what I know about Christianity is that we bear no prejudice. And everybody is welcome. So you can take all that disgrace, Mr. Pence, and look yourself in the mirror. You'll find it right there. Now before I say anything next, i got to take a drink of water because... Here's the deal. We're living in a country where this inclusion ethic that Lady Gaga appeals to claims the moral high ground. This is what our students are being taught. This is what they're seeing on social media. This this is what is rampant everywhere in mainstream entertainment outlets. You can no longer watch a ball game without getting hit with this inclusive, postmodern, demonic ethic. I mean, it's our job to protect the worldview of the next generation And like I said earlier, many mainstream American denominations are conforming their Christianity to align with this cultural trend. But here's the deal. Compassion students will not. Although we will open our gates and we'll be face to face with broken teens who have been glorified by the world, by the sinful garments they've found. Compassion Christian students with compassion will teach that to enter the wedding feast You must solely enter with the garment of Jesus Christ. You see, a student who comes to our programs for just a little while may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. But our students, confronted by the gospel of Christ, will become new creatures where the old is gone and the new has come. Now, it is my conviction to realize this kingdom reality here in our church and in our student ministry, we must rediscover two God-ordained strategies that we see throughout Scripture. Strategy number one, 
We must understand God's plan for the family. Now in Genesis 1.28, God was talking to Adam and Eve and he said, God, it says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over, over every living thing that moves on earth. Here's the deal. This passage of scripture is a call for a man and woman in a marriage relationship to be stewards of everything that God has given them. Raising children in the Lord is not outside this call to stewardship that God mandates in Genesis 1.28. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, we continually see a call to the family to be stewards and managers when it comes to raising children up in the Lord. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when they sit in your house and when you walk by the way and, and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In this passage, it can be seen that, that the steward, the manager, the head of household has a responsibility for the spiritual development of their kindred. Fathers of a household were responsible for the instruction and the teaching of the truth that the one true God of Israel is the only God. And to love him is to keep and understand his commandments. The head of household is a steward, a manager, and he does all these things by executing the tactics you see in verses 7 through 9 of Deuteronomy 6. You teach them to your children diligently. You talk to them when they sit in your house and when they walk by the way and when they lie down and when you rise, you, you bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be in the frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost and on your gates. That's everywhere. But here's the deal. There's this great lie in our culture that has to be addressed through scripture and the lie that is so prevalent is the belief that children ought to choose their own path. Now, please, please don't misunderstand me. It's every parent's hope that children, their faith would be internalized and personally owned. However, the belief that we ought to empower our children to self-actualize and allow them to independently pursue their own faith journey by themselves without the community of God, that's completely contrary to God's word. And this school of parental thought couldn't be farther from the truth in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. No, no, no. The stewards of God's houses and God's covenant community are to teach the truth about God. To let one's children wander into their own ways is to disobey God and disobey Scripture. Now here's the deal. The context is, is clear throughout Scripture that this responsibility, this is a collective responsibility and it's for those who are part of God's family through Christ. And whether it's an Old Testament passage directed to the nation of Israel or a New Testament passage directed to a local church, there's a village here. But the partnership that God created for the family, this partnership is a father and a mother taking extreme ownership for the spiritual formation of their kids and this covenant community coming alongside and rallying them. And it was beautiful. I saw this a couple weeks ago in action here at our Henderson campus. A Compassion Christian here, his name is Jason Tatlock, he, he reached out to me and some volunteers in our youth group 
And he was trying to put on what's called a rite of passage ceremony with his son. And essentially, what Jason did was he gathered seven men who had a relationship with his son. And you see, Jason has made sure over the several years that his son has been growing up here, that his son has been making relationships with men in our children's and our student ministry. They've been working behind the scenes, him and his wife, Krista, to orchestrate these relationships and use this existing programming. So Jason called all these guys and what we did is we went out to a cabin and we did this rite of passage and what we did is we all spoke just truth into Alexander's life. We rallied around him and we said, this is what the Bible says and this is what this Bible verse means and this is what it means to be a man. And let me tell you something, like every single one of these guys in this picture was like bawling like a baby, man. But I tell you what, it, it was so special. It was so special to be a part of it. We see the, this village, but what we saw is we saw a father saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then we saw the church rally behind this father. And I tell you what, that is God's plan for the family. It illustrates it so beautifully. And here's the deal. If you're a parent, my heart for this student ministry program is that we would come alongside you and partner with you and that we would build strong families here at Compassion Christian Church. So, I mean, April 14th, if you want to do something like this for your child, we have a, we have a parent meeting. It's going to be after our second service in the atrium. If you want to be equipped to do something like this for your son and daughter, because we want to create that partnership and build strong families. But here's the deal. We would be remiss, we would be mistaken if we didn't talk about a second very important strategy. And this second strategy is we, the church, have to embrace a spirit of adoption. Many of you have already heard that our global outreach team has developed an attack plan to find a compassion home for every foster child in the Savannah area. And I believe there might be no better testimony than this mission as James 1.27 says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And when we execute that mission as a compassion family, that's what we're doing. But here's the deal. We're going to take Jesus seriously. His mission calls us to take adoption, or at least what I'm calling a spirit of adoption very seriously. And see, maybe for the first time in American history, we're trying to build a student ministry around a group of students where the majority of those students' parents are, are divorced. You see, we know that divorce is never Jesus' plan for marriage or, or God's plan for the family. However, we're stuck with the reality that some of us have abandoned God's plan. And most of us in this room know deep in our hearts, somewhere along the lines, we have become alienated from God's plan. And we're broken. And no matter how good our families look on the outside, we all need help. And here's the deal. Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit and through Christ's bride, the church has a desire to restore our families. The truth about our culture today is that there's spiritual orphans all over the place. And when this is the case, it is compassion's hope that the programming that we offer Wednesday night from 6.30 to 8 p.m. could be a catalytic experience for organic disciple-making relationships 
between students and other families and lay leaders. And we're continually making space and trying to build an infrastructure that can support parents who maybe have kids who they haven't embraced the biblical mandate of discipleship. Because here's the deal, in the same way God our Father has adopted us into his family, compassion families, and student volunteers have the opportunity to demonstrate this same spirit of adoption. This spirit of adoption we find in Romans 8.14, it says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. As a covenant community, as a church, it's vital that we embrace the children that God has brought to us. It's our duty to collectively fill the role of teacher in the lives of spiritual orphans as we make every effort to win the entire family to the kingdom of heaven. So here's the deal. If, if, you, feel that, if you feel that conviction with me, I just want to challenge you to consider what young people in your circles are spiritual orphans that you can adopt. What families can you come alongside and support in our church? Whose rite of passages can you be a part of? And if you don't have those relationships already in place, then you've got to at least consider jumping into our children's and student ministry here at Compassion. Because here's the deal. Our, our heart is that this program would be a springboard to create an authentic Christian village where every child we encounter enters into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Lord, uh, thank you for your church. Lord, I just pray that... Uh, this church would be a church of strong families. Lord, I, I just pray a blessing over all the families in this room and who are going to be participating in uh, compassion services all over the Savannah area, Lord. And I pray that the compassion might be a church that is known for having strong families in this area. And that we would be a church known for restoring the family because we draw close to you and we draw, uh, we, we abide in Jesus, Lord. Lord, we love you. We give you all the glory. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.